This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. That's Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. Guys, I'm feeling diabolical today because I've been reliably informed that the world is over. I don't know if you guys knew this, but I've been informed about this. And it's not just because of Roe v. Wade, and we'll get to that here in just a second before we get to all that. Guys, I want you to go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. We've gotten some one-stars lately because of the ads, and some people don't like the way my face looks and whatever the thing is. So if you're listening to this and you have not left us a five-star review on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this, we would really, really appreciate it. And also, I know I need to kind of acknowledge something that happened earlier this week. So Obviously, I recorded an interview with MMA fighter Rory McDonald, who, if you're listening to this on time, will be fighting tomorrow. And I also recorded a podcast whenever I immediately got the news about the Roe v. Wade, uh, the the leak, the leak decision, all those different things. And just so you know, I'm going to be getting into all of that next Thursday. Okay, so I'm going to be spending a ton of time next Thursday breaking down all of it, breaking down some of the reactions, you know, what would actually happen if Roe and Casey were overturned and that type of thing. But I recorded immediately after I found out the news on Monday night and I got it out there and, you know, put it out there and it was on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everywhere else. And something very, very strange happened. And so I don't want to say something nefarious happened because I don't have direct evidence of that. But all of a sudden, the, the the podcast just disappeared when I woke up in the morning. So it was still showing up in people's feeds. But whenever they would try to play it, it showed as a corrupted file and all those different things. I don't really know what happened. So I had to kind of release it. So it seemed like I released it a little bit late. But it was, you know, kind of right after I got all that. But, you know, if your podcast feed, especially on Apple Podcasts, was mixed up there for a second, and my episodes were out of order. It should be OK and straight in order now. So I think think, you know, Rory's was 304 and then the Roe v. Wade podcast is 305. So just wanted to make sure we address that. And before we get into today's content as well, if you have not been following on social media and if you're not on our mailing list, first of all, you should be on our mailing list. Just go to our website. You can sign up and you can get our 100 uh, books that every modern Christian man should read list. But we've got new swag. We finally got it. I know you guys asked for forever and forever, and then we did the rash guards and the t-shirts last year, but we've got a new t-shirt. It is blue. It's got an American flag on the back. It's our freedom tee, but also we have hats. You guys have been asking about hats for a long time. I threw it out there as a you know survey. You know Which guys do you want? You, do you want the classic snapback, or do you want the trucker hat? And the trucker hat was far and away uh, the overwhelming majority of that, so those are both now on our website. The shirts are just 30 bucks. The hats are 40 bucks, and you can buy them both for just 60 bucks, and this is pre-order only. Okay, so this is very, very important. We are not going to keep a store for the, for the foreseeable future just open on our website. 
So I think we have like three or four of the, of the black t-shirts left and maybe one or two of the rash guards. But it is just an overwhelming amount of time when that's not your main thing. If your main thing is doing a clothing brand and that's what you want to do, yeah, yeah, you, you'll do all that and you'll keep all the inventory. But that's not really what we want to do. It's like it's not a super profitable thing for us. We just wanted to do it because you guys wanted to rep Undaunted Life. So we're only doing pre-orders. So three or four times a year, we're going to do merch drops. And with a merch drop, we're going to do a t-shirt and then another item. So this time we did a t-shirt and a hat. Next time we might do, you know, a t-shirt and a hoodie or a t-shirt in in a like a performance hat or, or another rash guard, a long sleeve rash guard or something like that. We're going to do a t-shirt every time and then change it up depending on the season. But this is our summer drop. But again, it's pre-order only. Pre-orders are open now, but it only runs through the 31st of May. You will not be able to get this stuff after the 31st of May. We will not be holding any extra swag back to sell later. There's a small, small chance we'll, we'll be able to put some of the hats for sale on the website, but you've got the entire month of May, guys. I mean, I'm recording this on, what is it, the third? You've got the entire month of May to get in your order. So just go to undaunted.life backslash shop. That will be in the show notes. So it's www.undaunted.life backslash shop. If you do not order one in the month of May, you will not get it. Now, on today's podcast, we're going to be going over a bunch of information. We're going to be going over how the Biden administration is adding their own ministry of truth. The Biden administration floating student loan forgiveness is what they're calling it. The brutal murder of a 10-year-old named Lily Peters by a 14-year-old. Also, the state of California legalizing literal infanticide. And then Joe Biden informing us that our kids don't actually belong to us. But for the main story for today, if we've learned anything in the last couple of weeks of, of living in this country and living on this planet, it's that you don't mess with the Babylon Bee. You don't mess with it because you go messing around with the Babylon Bee and there might be a billionaire somewhere that's a big fan of the Babylon Bee that isn't going to appreciate that very much and they're going to buy your business because that's exactly what happened when Elon Musk, who is a favorite of, of the Babylon Bee and he likes the Babylon Bee and all those different things, he bought Twitter and literally the world ended. And we're going to get way more into that. But last week, the deal that you know many thought would not get done got done on April the 25th, 2022. Twitter's board voted unanimously to accept a Musk's bid for $44 billion to purchase the social media company outright. And he's taking it private and going to do a bunch of things with it. Now, the thing about it is most people don't realize is he's not he's not over there at Twitter right now, you know, taking care of things. The deal won't actually be finalized for about another six months or so, but it would take something otherworldly at this point to derail the deal. Like it just, it's going to happen, but it's just going to take a little bit of time. Now, the thing was, is if you weren't familiar with the Babylon B stuff, so the Babylon B is kind of a Christian conservative satire site, but they do things incredibly well. Like we share more of their stuff on our Instagram than anybody else because they constantly hit the mark, but they also uh, hit, you know, hit the mark with a guy like Elon Musk. He thinks it's really, really funny. Uh, he's actually gone on their podcast before, which is really awesome. But then the Babylon Bee got banned for naming Rachel Levine, who's, uh, you know, one of the undersecretaries with the federal government, who's quote unquote transgender. This is a dude that thinks he's a woman. I think they named him the man of the year or something like that. And they were banned from Twitter. And luckily those guys that run the Babylon Bee and are the CEOs and and run everything go, uh, that's going on over there, they said, yeah, we're not bowing to this because they said, we'll give you your account back, but you got to delete that tweet. And they're like, no, screw off. We're like, we're not deleting this tweet. And then here we are, the Babylon Bee's reinstated and they're going to be under new ownership before too too long. But the, the thing about it is, is it might seem like I'm a little bit late to the party talking about this because that's all anyone could talk about last week, really, until the stuff broke on Monday with the Roe v. Wade stuff on the Politico uh, article that was released. But 
this gave me a really good opportunity to kind of sit and marinate and, and look at what everybody was saying on the left and on the right and the 14 people that still consider themselves in the middle. And I had already had that Q&A episode ready to go. And so it's like, okay, this is a unique opportunity for me, but I'm just glad it afforded me the time to kind of formulate my opinion a little bit further. And I'm going to be doing the same thing because I got my initial thoughts out on the Roe v. Wade thing that, that broke. And I did that episode that released earlier this week. But next week, I'm going to go into much, much more detail because you can just tell that there's going to be a ton of wailing and gnashing of teeth over the next week to 10 days. But my immediate reaction and some, I guess, of the the immediate reactions to the news of Elon Musk buying Twitter and to some of those changes is that people on the right shouted with glee, right? And, and then people on the left, they went absolutely apoplectic, like they were just inconsolable. In the center, again, you know, whoever many people still consider themselves in the center, they probably smiled, you know, maybe didn't really change what they were doing uh, all that much. But one of the funniest reactions of them all was from a guy named Ari Melbourne. And so this is a contributor or a host at MSNBC. I'd never heard of this person before. But of all of the tweets, of all of the clips from news stations, of all the TikTok videos, of all the everythings, this is my favorite one. And it's just, it's so amazing that this guy doesn't understand what he's saying and how ironic it is. So let's go to the clip here. You own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech, philosophically clear, open-minded helper. I mean, can somebody anybody get this guy a mirror like it's astonishing like these people literally have been high on their own farts for so long that they're making up in their wildest dreams scenarios that people on their side have already done just absolutely absolutely incredible so one thing we also saw is that leftists you know started leaving twitter but they would make this big grandiose statement on Twitter about the fact that they were leaving Twitter, whereas if you were just literally like you were so overwhelmed with how negative of a thing that this was, would you, wouldn't you just kind of leave? Why, why do you have to make a big deal about it? And you're getting rid of an account. And so you're making this big announcement and then you're, you're, you're making your account go away where people can't actually access the stuff that you just put out there anyway. So a lot of leftists left and nobody really noticed. But then the interesting thing was is conservatives in basically every prominent conservative person or group saw their followers and their engagement numbers explode. I mean, there were people that were gaining tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers in a day or two. And these were people that, you know, had struggled. And, you know, about a year ago, there was this big purge of what they called fake accounts. And, you know, these people that had a bunch of followers on the right, they weren't really getting a lot of traffic. Their people were emailing them and saying, hey, I'm not seeing any of your posts. I had to go to your page to see anything like that. Now, the, the thing is, is since this happened so immediately after the announcement, Elon Musk acquiring Twitter, you have to assume that this is some sort of, you know, cover up attempt by the Twitter employees, you know, trying to cover their tracks, albeit horribly because you're making it incredibly obvious because this happened almost immediately. But isn't it interesting that shadow banning is just another conspiracy theory until it isn't? Because people have been complaining, especially conservatives, about being shadow banned for a lot of time. Like, hey, no one's seeing my videos. Hey, no one's seeing my tweets. Hey, all of a sudden I'm losing followers. Hey, you know, I'm having my people tell me that they've liked and shared my stuff. And then all of a sudden they go back to their own accounts and it's not been liked or shared. And, it, you know, it's really, really weird. But now it's been confirmed, along with a lot of things that we've seen since 2020, is it's always a conspiracy theory until we see the evidence. And now we have. So I've got a bunch of random thoughts that I want to go through on this Elon Musk thing. And so let's just kind of fire in. The first thing is, F you money is a real thing. 
I mean, my goodness. I mean, in one, you know, albeit very expensive fell swoop, Elon Musk has bought the town square where everybody goes to have their conversations and pretty much doomed all of his competitors, all the Twitter lights out there, all those apps to failure almost immediately. So Truth Social, which is Donald Trump's thing, which is still being downloaded a bunch, but I literally don't know anybody on the planet that has a Truth Social account. Personally, not a single person. I don't have one. I don't know. But Parler is going to be done for. Gitter is going to be done for. Gab's going to be done for. Because the thing about all those other platforms is those platforms were there because Twitter was such a cesspool. Because Twitter was shadow banning people. Because Twitter was a bastion of left-wing thought and basically stamping out right-wing people, right? And that's essentially not what my uh, Elon Musk is going to allow it to be moving forward. At least that's how he's signaling. But you know, a few money that that's what he's got. And he, and he flexed it. I mean, $44 billion. I mean, people were like, he doesn't even feel that. It's like, yeah, he does. Like that's, that's a lot of money. Another random thought is it is very, very funny to me that leftists freaked out before Musk actually took over and changed anything. When they announced that he was putting the money together to make this bid, they were freaking out. And then whenever you heard he got other people to come into his bid with him to solidify it, it, it even got a little bit more rankous from that side of the crowd. And then he, it's announced that he's actually going to be doing this thing, and they just absolutely lose it. And Elon Musk is not doing anything right now other than tweeting. Like he maybe is doing some things behind the scenes, but he's running nothing. But isn't it interesting that leftists are already freaking out? More on that in a second. Another random thought is just in general, adults cry too much. I mean, about things that really don't matter. We saw all this leaked audio and, and reports of people that worked at Twitter and are still working at Twitter right now, crying at meetings because somebody bought their company. Now, I can kind of understand it from the point that if they make really, really good money and they've built up this lifestyle for their families and maybe their family tree, and all of a sudden they're thinking to themselves, man, I'm going to be on the unemployment line here before too long, even though most of those people have golden parachutes, but that's neither here nor there. The thing about it is, is these people are just sitting there crying. They're at work crying. I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine a scenario where I would be at work and cry about something that's work-related unless I worked for an organization that dealt with, you know, uh, I don't know, babies being murdered or people being kidnapped and raped or dogs being slaughtered or like something that is actually sad. But, oh, I don't really like the, you know, philosophical leanings of my new potential boss. And you cry? Really? I mean, maybe Crispin Mayfield, maybe that's his kind of a thing because he's probably still crying from the interview he and I did a while ago. But... Most adults can get through the day and be resilient enough to not sit there and boohoo into their coffee. But, you know, to each their own, I guess. Another random thought I've had is the left never actually cared about free speech. They basically proved it at this point. They never cared about free speech. They cared about, and I guess still care about, control. That's what they want. They want control. They want to control the narrative. They want to control speech. And if they can do those two things, they will control thought. That is what they are trying to do. That is what they are attempting to do. And things like Twitter allow them to do that. The mainstream media allows them to do that. Hollywood allows them to do that. You know, the narrative, speech, and thought. And that's why the White House and Jen Psaki and all the people on that team over there almost immediately came out to discuss regulating social media companies. Oh my goodness, where was this the entire time the Hunter Biden laptop story was being basically eradicated from social media, something that could have swung the election in 2022? Although, you know, Joe Biden apparently did get 81 million votes. You know, who could have thought that he, you know, a guy that was basically dead could get 10 million more votes than Barack Obama did, the most popular president in modern history, right? But it's so, it, it's, it's clearly about control now. 
Because the White House and other Democrats that are in in charge and in control, they're so concerned about one of their their you know golden gooses not being in their control anymore. Now they also almost immediately came out with their own way to combat disinformation, as they're calling it. And we're going to get way more into that in the quick hitter section. Now another thought I had is that I do find it very rich that nobody on the left complained when a very very rich man named Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post, a major newspaper. And the reason they didn't freak out is because they knew that Jeff Bezos would keep that paper left-leaning. And yet, they are terrified that another rich man named Elon Musk is buying Twitter and is not intending to keep it left-wing. And yet he's going to allow it to be whatever it wants to be. So if you're left-wing, you can obviously be on Twitter. He's not going to ban you. If you're right-wing, you can obviously be on Twitter. He's not going to ban you. But like, why is it okay for a really rich guy, really rich white guy named Jeff Bezos to buy an organization? Like we didn't think democracy was going to come melting down because he bought the Washington Post, but somehow it's different because Elon Musk, that's rich. Another thing, and this thing is very telling. The left, the political left is very concerned about people having a platform. They're concerned about certain people having platforms. Okay. Whereas the right is very, very concerned about people not having platforms. Hey, you hear this all the time about Joe Rogan, like, oh, he's platforming people. He's having Milo Yiannopoulos and Ben Shapiro and Alex Jones as if those people have anything in common. He's having them on their show and he's giving them a platform and all that. It's like, or he's just talking to people that are interesting, trying to figure out what they think. But that's the way the left thinks. They're like, I disagree with you, so you shouldn't be able to speak where I speak. But in the right, we're concerned when people can't speak. I mean, people on the left, they want people they agree with or that, that don't agree with them to be silenced. That's what they want. People on the right don't want that. Not at all. I mean, I've said this a lot before because someone would be like, well, what if when you were in college, what if a KKK grand wizard wanted to speak at your college? Would you be okay with that? And I was like, yeah, totally. I want to know what that guy looks like. I want to know exactly why he thinks the way he thinks things. And I certainly hope that there's a Q&A so I can ask him why he has such horrifically satanic opinions about people that don't look like him, that don't have the same immutable characteristics as him, right? I want to know exactly, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what these people believe. Why are you so scared of what other people believe? Because me, as someone that's on the right, someone that's conservative, I can go about my day understanding that you think completely differently from me, and I won't melt down. I'm not going to go have a cry session. I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh, how could anyone think that way? Like, I'm just going to be like, at most, I'm going to be like, that's really, really a horrific point of view. I'm going to go on and do what I need to do. I'm going to go take care of my family. I'm going to take care of my business. I'm going to move on, right? But people that have that worldview just don't think that way. Another thought is that, you know, oddly enough, you know who is probably the most excited, at least for a little bit, about Elon Musk taking over Twitter, in the, at least in the short term? It's got to be Joe Biden. I mean, whenever he's awake, which at this point, it's probably three or four hours a day, he had to have realized that for almost an entire two weeks, until the, the leaker over at the Supreme Court messed it up for him. For an entire two weeks, everybody was talking about Elon Musk. Joe Biden and his inability to do anything positive was not in the headlines. There were little things here, there, little stupid things that he did, and we're going to talk more about that in the quick hitter section. But my goodness, he was just, he got to relax for a week or two, right? Got to eat his ice cream and wear his aviator sunglasses because all the focus was on somebody else. And the last random thought I'll go over here is it is also very rich to hear people moralizing to Elon Musk or just in general about what they would have done if they had had that much money. 
You know, uh, he could have fixed homeless, the homeless crisis with, with all that money. You know, he could have fought institutional racism, whatever that is, with all that money. And, and my, my personal favorite that came up is he could have helped the environment with that money. The dude is literally the CEO of an electric car company. He is a liberal environmentalist. That's who this guy is. Like his entire thing is about getting people to Mars so that because once we destroy this planet, we got to be able to go somewhere else and have a civilization. And he's making these electric cars, which are actually not great for the environment. But, you know, we don't have to really get into that right now. But that's his whole deal. But these people that have no money or they don't, you know, obviously have nearly as much money as the richest person in the world. They're like, well, this is what I would do if I had that money, even though we know for for damn sure that's exactly what they would not be doing. Now, there are a lot of things that people are wanting Elon Musk to do. So I'm going to give you kind of a list of my things that I want to see uh, Elon Musk do with Twitter. The first thing he needs to do right from the very beginning is he needs a clean house. And I mean, immediately scorched earth, clean house, fire, almost everybody that does not need to be there. Because if these people are going to be actively working against you, because again, he's not getting rid of SpaceX. He's not getting rid of Tesla. Like he can't run Twitter full time. And he probably doesn't trust anybody to, to, that he could hire to run it full time, perhaps. But he's got to get rid of the CEO. He's got to get rid of the entire board. He's probably got to get rid of the entire C-suite. And then he's got to start working his way down and getting rid of people. Because here's the thing. Most people haven't heard this stat. It's absolutely incredible. But 98.7% of campaign donations coming from Twitter employees went to candidates from the same party. Do you want to guess which party it was? 98.7% of campaign donations coming from Twitter employees went to Democratic candidates. Shock of all shocks, right? Who could have possibly seen that one coming? Okay. All these people think the exact same way and that needs to be eradicated. That needs to be dealt with almost immediately. The next thing, he should consider moving the Twitter headquarters to a red state because he's going to continue to get people that want to live in that area where everybody is blue, where almost 100% of people give to the same types of candidates. So perhaps moving them to Texas would be a good idea. Tennessee, Florida, like something like that. Moving the headquarters could do a lot of things for changing the overall environment at Twitter. Another thing that I think Elon Musk should do is that he should welcome back every single person that was kicked off of that platform for something other than breaking the law. Because there are, are groups that, uh, that have been kicked off because they were literally inciting violence. Trying to, uh, there were terrorists that were trying to organize things. Those things were actually happening. But a lot of people were just kicked off because their opinions and the way they carried themselves and things that they said out loud just doesn't agree with the left. So I'm talking about Milo Yiannopoulos, who I'm not personally a fan of, but he should have a Twitter account. I'm talking about Alex Jones, who's funny, but I'm not really a huge fan of. He should have a Twitter account. And yes, Donald J. Trump. They should all have their Twitter platform. They should all have their personal profiles back. Now, it'd be really, really ridiculous for Donald Trump to say, hey, we're going to launch True Social and then go back over and get a Twitter. But if he runs for president again, which all signs point to the fact that he will be, you know, Lord help us, why wouldn't he go back to Twitter? Because at True Social, he may be able to reach tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people, whereas on Twitter, he's going to reach tens of millions of people. So that would be something that he would consider. Another thing that I think Elon Musk should fix once he gets over and starts running Twitter is fixing the trending category. So I basically for years now have ignored the trending category because everything in the trending category basically was bogus. Some of the stuff was promoted and put there so people were paying to be trending, but it was always left-leaning trending stuff. It was completely biased. So the only time someone on the right would be trending was always for a bad thing, some sort of a scandal, right? 
oh, they got owned on this college campus when they were doing a speech or something like that. But fixing that to where it's like, what are people literally talking about? Right. Because some things would be trending and only like there'd be like a few dozen tweets, but it was something that people on the left, people that worked at Twitter really, really liked and enjoyed. OK, so I would I would fix that. Another thing is open source algorithm. So we should be able to see the algorithm so we can really know whether or not people are being banned. We can know, hey, this is why this type of content, you know, quote unquote, went viral. And this is why this type of content didn't. And the last thing I do want to put out there and a lot of people talked about this is just an edit button for tweets. It's very, very annoying when I used to do a lot of stuff for Twitter back in the day when I worked for Major League Baseball and did some other things like that. It was so annoying whenever I'd put a tweet out there, I thought I had, you know, proofread it. And then I go back and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, one letter is out of place or something like that. But I do want to make sure that we could still see the original tweet because we don't want people to be editing the past, you know, a la the ministry of truth in 1984, more on that in a minute, but we do need to see the original of whatever it is. But if you do make a minor mistake, you should be able to correct that without deleting the tweet wholesale, especially if you've got a thread or something like that going. But overall, before we kind of put a bow on this Elon Musk thing, I'm sure we'll talk about it more throughout the year. But I do think that this is great overall. I really do. But we do need to be cautious. If you're a conservative, if you're a Christian, you do need to be cautious. Okay? Because one thing that was interesting is people were always told that, you know, if you don't like what's going on at Twitter, you know, go build your own Twitter, right? But creating a competing platform just never really was a viable viable option in my opinion, because all those other ones like Parler, which I had a Parler for a little uh, account for a little bit and a Gitter account, it was only conservatives over there just agreeing with each other. There was no dissenting opinions and that's not really good for discourse overall. But again, Elon Musk bought the town square, but he didn't just buy it. He took the fencing that they had put up around the town square. He took that down and he removed all the kill squads, all the people that were, you know, roving around looking for people that didn't think like they did or didn't have the same worldview and that were taking people out. Right. So he's taken that away. But I do feel a lot of, you know, pleasure in saying this because I know I'm not the first person to say this, but it will feel good to all those leftists that are freaking out right now. This is my message. Go build your own Twitter. Go build woke Twitter. Go build LGBTQ land, whatever you want to do. Go build that. It shouldn't be that hard, right? But to kind of get back to my overall point about us being cautious, Musk is not on the right, okay? I know he has some right-leaning tendencies. I know he has some right-leaning thoughts. But let's be clear, Musk is not a conservative. He's a liberal. He's an ACLU member. He, he's given tons of money to Democratic candidates that are running for major office. He's an environmental activist. He does a lot of things that do not agree with the right. So, if you are a true conservative, if you're, if you're a dyed-in-the-wool Republican, if you're that type of person, you can say some of the things that he's doing and some of the things that he's allowing for you to be able to do are good and positive things. But don't get caught up in the cool factor, okay? Stand on your principles, stand on your morals, okay? And also, Musk is not a follower of Christ, nor is he Christ. Some of the, some of the things people were saying about Musk after this all went down, I'm like, Okay, can we can we stop with the hero worship a little bit? Like it's getting a little bit ridiculous. Like, yes, this is a really, really good thing. But again, Musk does not purport to be a Christian of any kind. He doesn't have a Christian worldview. This is a guy that you should pray for because imagine if the world's richest man became a follower of Christ. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing? I mean, it would be great for Twitter in probably the least cool way that anyone can think of, but it's like that is that is such an awesome thing. So pray for him, pray that he changes. But again, that's not who he is. He's not a Christian. He's not a conservative. We should obviously understand that. But we can hope for an extremely positive outcome to all of this, but only time will tell. All right, guys, let's get into the quick hitter section. Let's get into the first one here. The Biden administration is adding their own ministry of truth. So this is according to the Daily Wire. President Joe Biden's Department of Homeland Security, DHS, is working to create a, quote, disinformation governance board, unquote, 
DGB, that's one letter off from KGB, to counter what they determined to be false information relating to national security. On Wednesday, this was Wednesday of last week, Politico reported that DHS is creating the board to coordinate counterterrorism or countering misinformation related to homeland security focused specifically on irregular migration and Russia. Okay, so guy named Alex, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, he runs DHS. He's gone and did a bunch of the rounds because the, the rollout of this information, especially on the heels of what Elon Musk did, everyone was rightfully calling this Orwellian. Okay, so when you hear people say something like Orwellian, for most of you that don't know, they're referring to the Ministry of Truth, as George Orwell describes in his novel from 1949 called 1984. I think we added 1984 to our 100 books every modern Christian man should read list last year. But the name Ministry of Truth is a misnomer. And if you've read the book recently, you know that it is misnamed as those within its walls of the Ministry of Truth actually serve the opposite purpose. So the people that work there, they're serving to falsify history and to present it in order to kind of suit the beliefs and the intentions of the party, right? That's the ruling class that we hear about in 1984. Now, this organization is going to be headed up by an individual named Nina Jankowitz. And so as of right now... um, even with all the bad press that she's getting, that is still something that, you know, she's essentially being primed for. So this is an individual that pushed the story that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. And she's never disavowed that claim. And she's clearly a partisan hack. You know, anytime you hear anything that she's saying, whether it's in the media or anywhere else, um, you know, it doesn't really matter what someone like Mayorkas says. She's not somebody that's nonpartisan. She is somebody that is very, very partisan. And she makes that very, very clear every time she opens her mouth to talk about the subject of misinformation. But she's actually, very interestingly enough, the latest proof that theater kids shouldn't be in charge of anything. And if you don't know what I mean, You've got to watch this video that I'm going to show you right now that she posted herself to TikTok. Someone didn't find this and post it. She posted it because she thought it was a good idea. So here's the clip. Bombering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. When Rudy Giuliani shared bad intel from Ukraine, or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain, they're laundering disinfo, and we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet, voice, or vote. Oh, information laundering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So this information's origin seems likely less atrocious. <laughs> I mean, it is just so hard to watch a clip like that and take someone like that seriously and to know that that person is going to have a job that's going to be paid for with our United States tax dollars. She's going to have a job doing something that she is so clearly not qualified for because she's not going to you know, look at things down the center. So, so a couple of things with, with this overall idea that we're talking about with this ministry of truth, which is what they really should be calling it, is there is a massive difference between misinformation and disinformation. So misinformation, think of being misinformed. So let's say you thought that the Texas Rangers won the 2011 World Series. Now you've been misinformed because the winner of the 2011 World Series were my St. Louis Cardinals. Now someone can disabuse you of the notion that the Texas Rangers won the 2011 World Series and you can say, oops, it looks like I was misinformed. But disinformation is a campaign where you are actively and purposely trying to get somebody to believe something that is the opposite of the truth. That is what disinformation is. And so these people are basically putting themselves on this moral high ground saying, when we say something is disinformation, we mean it. 
Just like when someone like Dr. Fauci said he was the science, that if you disagree with Dr. Fauci, you're disagreeing with the science and the CDC says the science is what it is and we should all follow that. This is a very, very dangerous thing, okay? Because they're not saying, hey, there's a lot of people spouting things that they know to be wrong and all that, and we're here just to be neutral arbiters. Nobody that is going to be working for that organization under DHS, which is insane, as opposed to protecting the homeland from like terrorist attacks or people coming through the southern border illegally, we're going to be worried about people saying things that they don't like online. And so when they signaled this, it, the, the rollout was absolutely horrific, just like with everything the Joe Biden administration has had. But here's the other thing about it, is if you couldn't see this coming before Joe Biden was elected, you're a blind fool. I mean, that's what I tried to tell people that just couldn't vote for Donald Trump. And I'm going to, you know, go vote for Joe Biden because he can't be nearly as bad as the orange man. Right. It's like, look, you have to look at what these people are signaling. Like Joe Biden is probably a moderate in his heart, but he's going to just go whichever way the wind takes him. So people have said before, Joe Biden is the center of the Democratic Party, no matter what. So if they swing right, he's still going to be in the center. If they swing left, he's going to be in the center. The problem is, is the Democratic Party has shifted so unbelievably to the left at this point that the center is so much farther away from anything we could have even fathomed, not you know, even you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. But you had to see something like this was coming. But the whole reason why this is coming and why it's coming now is one, because it's coming off the heels of the Elon Musk, you know, buying, buying Twitter, but also because they are getting ready for the 2022 midterms, because as everybody has heard by now, it's going to be a shellacking. There's pretty much a 100% chance the Republicans are going to be taking the House of Representatives. There's, you know, a coin flip chance that they're going to take over the Senate. And then it sets them up really nicely to potentially take back the White House, especially if Donald Trump doesn't run in 2024, you know, but again, we'll, we'll get more into that later. But the thing is, is they're going to be doing this whole misinformation or not this disinformation thing because they will, they will have the mainstream media on their side because whenever this department, whenever, you know, all the people that work there, whenever anybody talks about it, the mainstream media will immediately run at, run with it and categorize anything that they say as disinformation, right? Hey, uh, you know, this organization said it's disinformation, so it has to be disinformation. It reminds me a lot of the quote unquote fact checkers that you see. You know, according to an independent fact checker, you know, this is mostly false. And then when you dig down deep, most of these fact checking organizations are very, very left leaning. There are very, very few fact checking organizations that do look at things down the center that just basically report the news like and say, hey, this is just basically a flat out lie or, hey, given a little bit more context, this would be true. So something to watch for as the Joe Biden administration continues to stumble forward as they uh, move forward into the future. All right. The next uh, quick hitter here is the Biden administration is floating student loan forgiveness now. So let's dig into this by Katie ba uh, Balovic from Business Insider. And this is via Yahoo News here. President Joe Biden said last week that he will have an answer to the question of student loan forgiveness in the next couple of weeks, a move Democratic lawmakers are praising. All we know is that the president has expressed an openness to cancel some debt. Democratic Representative Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts told Yahoo Finance that in and of itself is a tremendous victory. And so I believe that we are closer than ever before to seeing some of the hardship alleviated. About $1.6 in federal student loan debt is owed by some 40 million people, according to the Wall Street Journal. The Biden administration recently extended a pause on federal student loan payments until July 31st. In his comments on Thursday, Biden said he is not considering the $50,000 debt reduction that some Democrats, including Presley, have called for. However, he recently expressed support for debt forgiveness in the range of $10,000 insider previously reported. Okay. So the thing we got to be real about this is words have meanings, right? Especially if you have a functioning brain, there's no such thing as student loan forgiveness. There's no such thing. There is only student loan debt transferal. That's what it is. 
Because if you're taking the debt away from these people, so let's say it is you know $10,000, we're taking away $10,000 worth of student loan debt from everybody in the country that owes at least that much. That debt doesn't disappear. It has to be paid. The debt 100% has to be paid by somebody. So that debt is going to be transferred to you and I, the American taxpayer. So people that are paying taxes in this country are going to be paying for these mostly useless degrees that people have got while they're working in jobs that have nothing to do with the degree that they got. So it's very telling that in this country, because it, let me be, let me kind of back up a little bit. I know the debt is a crisis for a lot of people. There are people that are well into their fifties that are still paying off their student loans, right? But it, it's more indicative of the system that we have in the United States, because in the United States, as an 18 year old, you can get a hundred plus thousand dollars in student loans for a worthless degree, but you won't be able to get a $10,000 loan from a bank or anywhere else to start a small business. You can get 10 times or even more so that to, to go and get a degree when, you know, you don't, have to, you don't even have to be evaluated as to whether or not you would be a good bet. Because here's the deal. If we made you apply for student loans, like you have to apply for business loans, like provide a plan and submit, you know, an idea of what you're going to do and all those different things, most people would probably end up not going to college at all, or they'd go to college to learn something that is actually valuable. They wouldn't go to college to figure themselves out, man, or I'm just going to go have a good time and, you know, get a general studies degree and then just go try to find whatever dude bro job. I no. If you had to apply for student loans with a plan, hey, this is a degree I'm going to get. This is where I plan uh, to apply. Uh, this is where I've been accepted. Uh, you know, this is the type of program I want to get into. This is a type of honor society I want to work my way towards. This is a GPA I can manage to keep. And by my junior year, this is the type of company I'm going to be looking to either start or work for. That'd be a much, much different thing. And I also want to be clear about this as well. I don't feel bad for people that are being crushed by student debt at all. Not one bit. And I know that's like, oh, that's not very graceful. And Kyle, people are really struggling out there. And, and again, I've said on this podcast before, I was lucky enough and blessed enough by God to have the skill sets and to, to, to be lucky enough to get a full ride scholarship to go to school. I did not have to worry about paying off student loan debt. And my wife, we, she had the exact same setup as me because she got a full ride to go to school. And so we didn't graduate. We got married very young and we had no student loan debt whatsoever. But the thing is, is if you're in debt, for student loans, it's because of a decision that you ultimately made. You signed on the bottom line, right, for that debt. You made the subsequent poor decision by picking your degree program. You're the one that made that subsequent poor decision to go into that profession. So you have these people that spend $150,000 on an education, and then you know all they're good for is maybe a $42,000 a year job at a community college, and they're like, I'm never going to be able to pay off this debt. It's like, that was your decision. That's not my problem. Like, I'm not going to pay for your bad decision. Like, I don't even know you. The same thing, like when teachers constantly complain about what they make, it's like you chose to go to school to become a teacher. And then you chose to pursue a job becoming a teacher. And then you were offered a job as a teacher and then you took it and then you signed the contract and then you re-upped your contract so you would continue being a teacher. Stop bitching about how much money you don't make. That's not my fault. Okay. Now, the thing is, is Joe Biden is doing this to placate the leftists in his base. I don't think he actually believes in student loan forgiveness. I don't think he thinks it's like this massive crisis and hopefully it doesn't come to pass. But the reality is the only thing that I will kind of come to the side of people with all the student loan debt, it's the only debt in this country that I know of that I'm aware of that you can't file for bankruptcy to get out from underneath it. I think that that is absolutely crazy. 
So there are people that have been swindled and that have been tricked or something like that. And they've got all this debt and they're literally not going to be able to get out from underneath it. There should be a way out for some of those people, but the way out is not making the taxpayers pick up the tab for their very, very stupid decisions. I'm sorry. I'm not here for it. All right. The next quick, hit, uh, quick hitter here. I'll get better at saying that this is my first time really doing the whole thing. So let's get into it here. There's the brutal murder of the 10 year old girl named Lily Peters by a 14 year old. This is absolutely horrific story, but there is actually a reason behind it. Okay. So let's, uh, let's get dig into the story here. This is according to Elliot Hughes and Chris Muller at USA Today. Law enforcement in Wisconsin launched a homicide investigation into a 14-year-old boy after discovering the body of a 10-year-old girl near a walking trail on Monday. I think this was two Mondays ago. Police arrested a juvenile suspect who knew Ilian Peters, or uh, Elena P- Peters, excuse me, who went by the name Lily, they announced Tuesday evening. Preliminary autopsy results found found that Peters died of strangulation and blunt force trauma. Chippewa County Coroner Ronald Patton said that the autopsy showed the manner of her death was homicide, and he expects results from toxicology tests within approximately four to six weeks. The teen arrested in connection with the death of Lily appeared by video in court Wednesday, where the judge ordered him held on $1 million bail. He actually shouldn't have been offered bail, in my opinion, but maybe that's something with that state. The boy was not publicly identified by name and has been identified only by the initials CPB. So. The reason that we're bringing up this story is it's an absolutely horrific story. I hate that something like this happened. Uh, apparently, this 14-year-old boy knew this 10-year-old girl that he beat to death and strangled to death. Um, you know, when you're a 14-year-old boy, you don't have a tremendous amount of strength. So we can only assume that that little girl suffered for a very long time before she finally mercifully passed away. Um, it's just, as a father, it's absolutely, inc- I just can't even imagine what those parents are going through. But what the situation has brought up and what people, you know, whenever they're not talking about Musk or Joe Biden or something else, whenever they're talking about this case, the big question that has been brought up again is, can we and should we try a 14 year old as an adult? You know, he's 14, you know, he's four years away from being legally an adult and all those different things. Can we try him as an adult? And I think it's a very, very easy answer. Yes, of course we can. I've followed several cases, even since childhood, you know, watching Dateline, NBC, or any of these, you know, uh, uh, unsolved mysteries or something like that. And you end up finding the, the perpetrator and it's actually a, a young person. And when someone's 14 years old and they've already beaten someone to death and strangled them to death with their own hands, that is not somebody that can be trusted in society anymore. Now, you know, you can talk about death penalty and you can talk about all those different things with a 14 year old. And, and perhaps that's a, it's a debate that we can get into on another day. But yeah, absolutely, this person should be tried as an adult. And again, I, I don't think I necessarily framed it properly. I think this this boy is innocent until proven guilty, even though all the evidence completely points to him at this point. Um, I don't know that we have a confession or any of those types of things, but they seem very, very confident this is the person that perpetrated this crime. This is not a person that we should ever let back out into society. Um, you know, this is a person that should probably never see the outside of a jail cell. And I think that's a, a very, very important thing for us is we can have compassion. For this uh, male, uh, young, this young man, we have compassion for him because I'm assuming he did not have a great uh, upbringing. He, we're probably going to get a lot of details about the fact that he grew up in a broken home. I, I doubt his dad was, you know, in the picture or those types of things. Or this this guy literally could just be a sociopath. He could have no feelings whatsoever. But we're, we're probably going to see, you know, this very diabolical ideation that's come from this kid. He's probably a kid that used to set fires and, you know, used to torture animals and all these things. And then finally he did it to an actual person. This is a person that's going to continue to escalate in their crime. That's how, that's how a lot of these things end up happening. So no, this is not something where it's like, okay, we're going to give this person a slap on the wrist, you know, give them, you know, a a juvenile prison sentence 
And then, you know, treat them as if, you know, once they're an adult that they're going to be completely rehabilitated. I just don't know that you can do that with somebody at the age of 14 that's already showing this violent behavior. All right, next quick hitter here. The state of California is legalizing literal infanticide. So this is according to Stephen Ertelt at Life News. The California Assembly Committee has passed a radical bill that legal anesthetists say would legalize infanticide, letting babies die up to 21 or 28 days after birth. The panel voted for the measure on a 11 to 3 vote. California Assembly Bill 2223, sponsored by Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks, Democrat from Oakland, already has promoted massive outrage or prompted massive outrage. While the legislation is meant to end criminal penalties for abortion, it could stop people from being punished for killing newborns as well. While hundreds of pro-life advocates showed up to oppose the bill, the main proponents are pro-abortion groups like Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and the ACLU. The measure has come under fire from pro-life groups who, who have said that they would prevent criminal liability if an infant dies during the perinatal period due to a pregnancy-related cause, which would essentially legalize the killing of newborn babies. The National Center of Health Statistics defines the perinatal period as between 28 weeks of gestation, this is important, 28 weeks of gestation and seven days after birth, but that definition can be extended up to 28 days after birth. The bill would prohibit authorities from charging a mother for actions or omissions related to her pregnancy, including miscarriage, stillbirth, or abortion, or perinatal death. Anyone who aids or assists a pregnant person also would be exempt from prosecution. Additionally, the bill would allow the woman to sue police and other authorities who arrest or charge her in such cases. According to the California Family Council, the perinatal death language in the bill would exempt mothers who kill their newborn babies from prosecution. So let's talk about this because I was asked about this. A good buddy of mine came over and we had a cigar and some whiskey a couple nights ago. And he's like, have they really, you know, approved of this? And you know, I was trying to explain it through the lens of, hey, you know, they're, they're talking about the perinatal period. But essentially, that perinatal period could extend to 28 days after the child has been born. So if the mother does something that directly leads or doesn't do something that directly leads to the death of her baby, she will not be charged with murder. That is definitionally infanticide. Because if you purposely kill a human being outside the womb, as uh, according to current law everywhere in this country, that is murder. So one of the things that drives pro-life people so absolutely insane is it's because, okay, when the baby's on one side of the vagina, you're okay with us, you know, basically killing them, sucking their brains out and all that. But then when they reach the other side of the vagina, you're not really okay with that. But this was always the, the way that the pro-abortion people were going to go. This was the only realistic way for this to end up, is if you worship at the altar of convenience, well, convenience doesn't stop once the baby comes. It becomes way less convenient when the baby arrives. I can speak from immediate experience because we have like a seven-week-old living in our house right now. So the pregnancy period was hard, especially on my wife, obviously. But then once the baby is here, way more inconvenient. But this is something that is very likely going to be passed in the state of California. And that's the one thing about the state of California that, that is very interesting. It's not interesting. It's actually really, really sad because that is a state that is going to do everything they can to basically signal to the rest of the world that we're going to be as left as possible and there's nothing you can do to stop it. So there are people that are like, oh, we should stay and fight in California and it's worth saving. I, I don't know if it can be saved at this point. Because everything that they can do to be on the pro-abortion side, on the pro-death side, on the pro-murder side, they're going to do it. And a lot of Californians, the way it used to be, is it would be legalized and normalized in California through Hollywood and, and other things, and then it would spread out to the rest of the country. That's one thing that I think is stopping. Because a lot of people that are leaving that state for other states are hoping a lot of that stink doesn't follow them. 
Now, as I've said many times on the show before, I am very, very pessimistic about how all these California voters that are moving to Idaho and Arizona and Texas and Florida and other places, I'm very, very pessimistic about them keeping that voting record strong over time because a lot of people vote based on emotion, not based on statistics, not based on reality. So a lot of people aren't going to be voting for tax policy when they enter the booth, whenever they're trying to pick between red and blue, they're going to be voting based on these, you know, these very emotional things like the LGBTQ thing about trans kids and about, you know, uh, anything that would be in the abortion side of things. That's the things that they're going to be voting on. And so you should, you might see a lot of these red states that are getting this influx of people from blue states that turn their state purple and could eventually turn it blue. But that is something to keep our eye on with what these people are trying to do in the state of California. All right, last one here. Joe Biden informed us that our kids actually don't belong to us. So last week while speaking at the White House in front of a group of teachers, uh, Joe Biden had this to say, and this is a direct quote. They're all our children. They're not somebody else's children. They're like yours when they're in the classroom. Okay. So obviously people keyed in on this, you know, they're, they're like yours when they're in the classroom. They're not someone else's children. There was a lot of outrage, but again, Joe Biden just says these things. I doubt that was what the, what was in front of him. I doubt that was on his note card. I doubt that was on the teleprompter. It's just something that he said. Okay. But I want to read this according to Rob Crilly at the Daily Mail. Republicans hit back at President Joe Biden on Thursday, a day after he fired a salvo in the education wars by saying parents gave up control of their children at the classroom door. Schools are at the center of one of the fiercest debates in national politics, and Biden used a reception for teachers at the White House to say parents don't belong to them when they're in the classroom. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt led the backlash. God gave kids to parents not the government, he tweeted. Other conservatives expressed their anger in even more graphic terms. They're not your children, tweeted Sebastian Gorka, former Trump administration official and radio host, you senile communist clown. So here's the thing. I've talked about this before, and I know it seems like I'm hating on teachers, but, you know, there's a lot of things that teachers say and a lot of, you know, this hero worship around teachers as if they're this homogenous group of people that are all good at their jobs and all give a crap. Again, in my entire life, you know, the dozens of teachers I've had, I can count on one hand the number of teachers that I feel like really, really gave a crap about their students and about me individually, right? This idea that teachers are just across the board heroes, and if we doubled their pay, they'd all suddenly be better is an absolute farce. But a lot of teachers do think that they are fully responsible for your children when they're in their care. Now, to a degree they are because they're there to teach them or protect them, but a lot of them are going beyond that now. So you're seeing a lot of this stuff with the the Florida bill, you know, the parental rights bill, and you're seeing all these things where these teachers are like, wait a minute, if their parents are going to think so backwards and if their parents aren't going to expose them to these ideas, these left-wing ideas, then I guess that's my responsibility. I guess that's something that I need to do because they're my children. There was a, there was a guy on TikTok that was a teacher here in the state of Oklahoma. Again, a very, very red state. It's been every county red in every presidential election, I think since George W. Right. But even in this state, this guy took it upon himself to bring queer ideology and LGBTQ stuff and black lives matter stuff into the classroom, as opposed to teaching the subject matter that he's been paid by the Oklahoma taxpayer to teach. He wants to talk about all these other things. Why? Because whenever you're not there, they're his kids. That's how these people think. Now, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush because I know there are some amazing teachers out there. There are teachers out there that love on their kids and they actually care about the fact that they learn and they want every single kid to, to be up at least to grade level competency in the subject that they teach. And they want the excellent kids to be even more excellent and to excel further. And I know that there are those teachers out there. I know there's a lot of those teachers out there. There are some that listen to this show even. I know that. But a lot of people in this group think the same way. They think that they're their kids. These are my kids. That's how they even say it. 
And it used to be kind of a cute thing that teachers would say until 2020 happened, until Zoom school happened. And we started to hear the things that these teachers were saying. We started hearing the the different things that they were pushing and the types of poison they were putting in the ears of these children. Because again, why do we have so many kids claiming to be transgender now? Could it have anything to do with the fact that by the age of five, most of them have already been asked, what gender do you feel like you are? Because again, I've, I've said something along these lines on many shows before that if you gave me a room full of five-year-olds, I could probably convince half the room before they left, the, half the room before they left for the day that they were a superhero, that they had actual superpowers. Do you know why? Because they're stupid. They're five years old. They're 20 years away from their brains being fully developed. They can have any type of a mind contagion and they will run with it. That's why kids, that's why we love their creativity because they don't have any boundaries at that point. But whenever you inject these, these crazy ideologies and tell them that these things that are immoral or just flat out biologically false, when you tell them that they're normal, that is the kid's paradigm from a very young age. And by the time you're able to break them out of that, if you ever are, it perhaps is too late. They've already formulated their worldview. So. Another thing that we need to continue to be taking advantage of and you know, making sure that we're paying attention to is when you have people like Joe Biden get up there and say to a room full of teachers that are all you know, basically sponsors of the Democratic Party that, hey, they're not somebody else's children. They're like yours when you're in the classroom. We got to not take that line down. I talked to a guy today who was talking to somebody, uh, to one of his teachers, and he was basically like, hey, you're not going to do any of that woke stuff in the classroom, are you? You're not going to do any of the LGBTQ stuff. You're not going to you know, bring in a Black Lives Matter fist and you know, put it in the corner of the, in the room. Just have that conversation with the teachers because it at least lets them know that it signals to them that you're paying attention. And if they get out of line, it's going to be a problem for them. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the links I've got for you today, I've got the link to our shop so you can go buy some new Undaunted Life gear. And then I've got all the articles that I referred to when I was in the quick hitter segment. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And we also want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album leveler the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah